Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Have you guys ever noticed that um, it's hard to be satisfied? I, uh, a few, <laughs> few months ago, I was graduating from seminary, and um, I'm in my office, I'm working on my very last assignment, and I'm getting ready to submit it, and I'm expecting to feel um, pretty good about, you know, finishing things up. It took me five years to get a two-year degree, and um, <laughs> yeah, some of you have been there, and um, <laughs> And it's a pretty big accomplishment, so I'm expecting to feel pretty good. And I hit that submit button, and I kind of felt empty. You ever been there? You ever done something, and you accomplished a goal, and it's like, well, that didn't satisfy me the way that I thought? And I'm really glad I did it, because, you know, it's, it was a great accomplishment, and it helps me to add value to others. So I'm super glad that I did it, but at the same time, it's not like now I get to walk in this you know, the rest of my days in eternal bliss, and I never have to mow my yard again. Um, yeah, it just, it, it doesn't satisfy you exactly like you think it's going to. But as a people, as human beings, we're, we're chronically dissatisfied. Something about us, we're constantly looking towards the future to accomplish some kind of goal to make us feel uh, fulfilled. And you can think about this in, in different ways. Maybe, you know, you're, we're trying to reach a certain social status so that we can feel good or, or, you know, to a certain place in your career so that you can feel like you're doing something significant and contributing uh, to society. And it's just something about us that we're constantly looking towards the future for fulfillment. But intellectually, we know that that's never going to work, right? Like if I asked you, do you believe that, that those things are, are going to give you what you're really looking for? You'd say, well, no. I don't believe that. I don't believe that accomplishing my goals are actually going to meet all my, my deepest needs. But at the same time, even though we know intellectually it's not going to work, at a deeper level, it's like we do believe that it will because we, we keep trying. I think buried inside of us is the belief that if everything is just the way I want, that's when I'm going to be happy. And I think part of the problem behind this is that we're goal-oriented beings. Like, we're hardwired to move towards the future, to accomplish goals. It's one of the beautiful uh, things about us. And I think that hidden inside of that, that hardwiring is what we're really most deeply looking for is an intimate relationship with God. We want to be satisfied by Him, but because we're broken beings living in a broken world, um, that pursuit of God has kind of gotten twisted a little bit. And so we expect our, our earthly goals to satisfy us in a way that they were never meant to satisfy. And so that, that deepest need isn't going to be fully met until Jesus comes back to earth and, and fixes this place and fixes our hearts completely and there's no sin and we get to just be in the literal presence of God. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I think that we have the potential for more satisfaction now. Uh, my name's Zach. Hello. Um, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I am powerless over alcohol. I, uh, I started drinking in between my eighth grade year of uh, middle school and my freshman year of high school, and I liked it way too much. And it did satisfy me 
um, on some level, but eventually it got more and more out of control. And what started as a way to, to fit in and feel good and be a, the life of the party um, became a coping mechanism, a way for me to deal with stress. And so um, as I was a young adult, I was kind of a wreck looking at my life, thinking like this is, this is a mess. And I won't even tell you all the details in case your kids are here. You won't have to explain a bunch of stuff to them later. But um, I've got a story that I'm not really proud of. But I mean, come on, we all have things from our past that, that we're not proud of. We all have things that we uh, need to work on. And so when I was in my early 20s, man, I, I had to get uh, to work. And so I'm kind of having an existential crisis. It's like, I don't like the direction of my life. So I came back to Rockbrook and I joined a small group and I started um, reading my Bible and praying and, and doing all the things that I'm supposed to do to grow. But I could not stop drinking. I just couldn't quit. And so eventually um, I came back to, or I went to celebrate recovery and I worked through the Christ-centered 12 steps and dude it completely transformed my life and I just I don't even recognize the person that I used to be it's like that identity that Jesus says you get when you become a believer in Christ like it's like the 12 steps made that real um, in my life and I experienced that more and more and so it totally changed my life and now I'm seven years sober and um, well, thank you thanks um, I'm married to a woman who I totally do not deserve, and we're about to have our first kid together, and, um, you know, I lead our recovery ministry, and none of that is to say that I'm doing anything great. It's just to say that God can take even a knucklehead like me and put me in a place where I'm actually adding value to others and doing something meaningful uh, with my life, and so he's so amazing, and I was asked to give you um, a sample of Celebrate uh, Recovery, and I thought, well, what on earth am I going to talk about? Well, Here's the, the mission of Celebrate Recovery. We exist uh, to lead you to Jesus so that you can find freedom and live fully alive in him. I mean, Jesus is the man, obviously. He died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. And so, hello, like, of course, meaning and fulfillment, living fully alive, that happens through a relationship with him. Finding freedom from our hurts, habits, and hangups, we believe that happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So in everything we do, we try to point people into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And when I was asked to give a sample of Celebrate Recovery, I thought, well, what one thing can I talk about that best encapsulates this mission? And I thought, well, duh, the serenity prayer. How many of you know or have heard of the serenity prayer before? Yeah, like half of you, because it's, it's like this big deal verse. Um, it was written by this brilliant um, theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, and it was adopted by Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's, bas it's used by basically every 12-step group out there because it clearly delineates the lifestyle of the 12 steps. And so it, this is so totally amazing. I'm going to uh, pray it for you guys. You can say it with me if, if you want. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Who doesn't want serenity like a sense of just everything's good I don't need to keep working for more I get to just be content with what I have right here 
right now. I have enough. And the biblical word for this is, is shalom. And I think that most fundamentally, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a sense of just deep serenity and satisfaction and, and shalom, which means like everything is right inside of me. Everything is right between me and others. And, and everything, most importantly, is right between me and God. I think most deeply, that's what, what we're looking for in, in all of our pursuits is we want a sense of, of shalom. And the great news is that this is going to be a reality um, when Jesus brings heaven back to earth, we're going to have all the satisfaction, all the, the we're going to be completely satisfied in the presence of Jesus. And that's going to be uh, amazing. But I think that we have the potential for more of this now, uh, the potential to enjoy every moment as it comes, to live one day at a time, to live reasonably happy in this life. And that's, that's the vision that we try to cast for people and celebrate recovery. This is the kind of lifestyle we want people to live because we believe this is a lifestyle of, of freedom and, and living fully alive. And so we end every um, recovery service uh, with the serenity prayer because this is the vision that we're casting for people. And so what I want to do today is I want to take you to um, Matthew chapter 6 and sort of parallel some of the teachings of Jesus with the serenity prayer as a way to kind of unpack the lifestyle of of the serenity prayer. And so we're going to be in Matthew 6. The words are going to be up on the screen and also in your message notes. But um, this is where Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And so a lot of you will, will know this. It's, it's a pretty familiar um, sermon, the most famous one um, in history. And so uh, it's pretty familiar. But I think sometimes we get so used to the sayings of Jesus that we forget how incredibly brilliant um, he is. And so he's, I mean, obviously a genius. And so look at this. He says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, that sounds a little bit extreme, right? Like, just don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. I mean, that sounds a little bit extreme. And so what's he saying here? Well, what I don't think he's doing is I don't think he's saying this in a condemning tone. And I don't think he's saying this like, this is easy, just go into a corner and figure out how to not worry anymore and then come back and see me. He's not saying that this stuff is easy, and he's not even saying that these things aren't important. Because if you skip down um, later in the sermon, he says that, that God cares about you deeply, and he knows that you need these things. I mean, we need them. So it's not that they're unimportant what he's saying is don't let the pursuit of this stuff consume you. Don't let your hunt for the next thing rob you of living your life. Don't let the, the pursuit of being satisfied and accomplishing a goal keep you from being satisfied now because, I mean, come on, isn't life more than accomplishing goals? And he lists these things because that's what they worried about. But, I mean, what do we worry about? And I think primarily what we worry about generally is how do I fit in the world? What's my place in the world? Where do I fit in the social structure of things? Am I doing something significant in my job? Am I contributing to others? Do I have enough stuff to provide for my family and, and live in, in comfort? And it's not that these things aren't important. Like, this is totally important. But he's saying, isn't life more than that isn't life more than just accomplishing your goals because as soon as as soon as you accomplish a goal there's just going to be another goal for you to set and as soon as you fix one problem another problem is going to pop up 
So life is more than, than waiting for things to be perfect before you start living. And then Jesus, because he's the master communicator, he's, he's outside, he's on a hillside, and um, there's probably birds flying around. And so he looks up and says, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. In other words, they're not constantly striving for the next thing. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? In other words, if he can take care of them, won't he take care of you? And then he says something so incredibly brilliant. He asks a a brilliant question. He asks, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? In other words, does worrying actually make you live longer? Well, no. I mean, of course not. At the end of the day, like, we're we're all going to die. And worrying doesn't change that. But what worrying does do is worrying can keep you from living while you're alive. See, one of the fascinating things about human beings is that we have the ability to sort of project ourselves into the future and, and imagine the future and to solve problems. So if you have a goal and you want to reach this goal or need to reach this goal, a lot of times stuff will get in the way. You'll have an obstacle that comes up that gets in the way of that goal. But we have the ability to project ourselves into the future and figure out how to get those obstacles out of the way so that we can accomplish our goal that's called planning it's thinking about the future and it's an amazing ability that God gave us like no other animal has anything like that it's incredible that's how we do all the things that we can do worry though is when you get stuck in the future planning is thinking about the future worry is when you're so consumed by a goal that you forget to live today and so we ask the question that by always living in the future and implicitly believing and because you know we'd never articulate it out loud but like on a deeper level by believing that once I get all this stuff figured out that's when I'm going to start enjoying life that's when I'm going to slow down and enjoy life but by always living in the future waiting for things to be perfect do you actually get the chance to enjoy life well, no of course not all that does is that pushes satisfaction and that pushes your serenity into the future just one more step I mean, the ability to imagine and plan for the future, it's, it's an amazing gift, but it has the potential to rob us from enjoying the present because no matter how many problems you solve, there's always going to be another problem that needs to be solved. And no matter how many goals you accomplish, there's always going to be more goals that you can set. And so if you're waiting for, for accomplishing all your goals and fixing all your problems before you're satisfied, then you're never going to be satisfied. And so he says, verse 31, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And I mean, this, this is the serenity prayer right here. This is the serenity prayer. God, help me to distinguish between the things I can and I can't control, and not to get caught up in the things I can't control. Help me to, to learn to live one day at a time, to enjoy one moment at a time. Help me to to accept obstacles to my goals as, as a pathway to peace. That's the first part of the serenity prayer is how do I deal with obstacles that get in the way of my goals? Now, some take Matthew 6 um, to mean that you should just live for the moment. You know, just live kind of a, a Zen Buddhist lifestyle and move to the beach and meditate your brains out. But 
that's not what Jesus is saying. Um, to live for the moment, I mean, that's just a straight-up addiction. You know, like, get as much pleasure as I can as quickly as I can. And the problem with that is that eventually you're going to become accustomed to the object that you're um, looking to for pleasure, and you're going to need more and more of it to get the same level of satisfaction, and your life is going to spin more and more out of control. But it's not going to work for other reasons because, first of all, that's not even what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't plan for the future. He's saying don't worry about the future. And those are two totally different things. Plus, if you decide, well, okay, I'm just not going to set any goals. I'm not going to plan. I'm not going to work for food, clothing, etc., because it's not going to satisfy me anyway, then come on, who on earth is going to take care of your family? I mean, you have to think about this stuff. Jesus isn't saying that food and clothing and shelter is unimportant because, I mean, come on, he ate fish and he fed people fish. And so like this stuff is important, but look at this. He says, don't worry about these things, not because they aren't important. He says, don't worry about these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. It's totally important. Having a job is totally important. Eating food is totally important. I mean, to live, I think from the bottom of my heart, to live like a meaningful, satisfying life, a life filled of serenity, is to live that kind of life, you have to take up responsibility. You have to add value to others and be a productive member of society. So the first part of the serenity prayer is how do I deal with obstacles that get in the way of my goals? And the answer is not to stop setting goals and just live for the moment. You can't live for the moment. It's so much subtler than that. Listen, you live in the moment, but you don't live for the moment. You live in the moment, but you live for something greater, for something eternal. And that's the second part of the serenity prayer, is setting the right goals. And so it says in the serenity prayer, trusting that you will make all things right, that God will make all things right if I surrender to your will, meaning that my ultimate goal in life is to surrender to his will. And that's what Jesus says in verse 33. But seek first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is so brilliant. It means that if you set the ultimate goal of your life as seeking the kingdom of God, then God is going to organize all the other goals in your life. That if my ultimate goal is seeking the kingdom of God, everything else is going to find a way to get worked out correctly because hardwired into us is just the ability to move into the future that's that's how we're designed we're goal-oriented beings and so we move towards the future not to be consumed by it with worry but to move toward it and on a deeper level what this means is that buried inside of each and every one of us is some kind of idea of what life should be and it's not really something that you can articulate and put into words, but it's, it's more like a picture that kind of operates in the background. So we all have this idea of, of what life should be in our head. And you can kind of see it when you admire specific people. So if you admire someone, you think, well, man, I'd love to have that characteristic or I'd love to live that kind of lifestyle. And you take your perspective of that person and sort of put it into your idea of the way that your life should be and you move towards that kind of life and you continue to to develop this idea through through watching your parents and through the movies that you watch and the the books you read or listen to and stuff like that through advertisements on tv we're constantly collecting this unconscious idea of what we think our life should be and then we're always moving towards 
that kind of life. And this idea of the way our life should be, it orients us in the world and we unconsciously and sometimes consciously make decisions to kind of try to reach that kind of lifestyle. And so if you want to live a good life, you may think, well, okay, what's, what's that look like? Well, part of it is, well, I want to have a good job. And so that may mean that I go to college or I learn a craft or go to trade school or join the union, but I have to make some sacrifices now to accomplish some goals so that I can reach the ultimate goal of, of getting a good job so that I can reach the even bigger goal of living a good life. So we set up these miniature goals so that we can reach the ultimate goal of living a good life. But the problem is that a lot of times we'll take one of our miniature goals and we'll put it in place of what should be our ultimate goal. And men, just we do this all the time with our career because part of living a good life is having a good job that provides for our family and that um, contributes to society. But what men do oftentimes is we turn that miniature goal of having a good job and, and make it our ultimate goal because, I mean, come on having a good job, it can make you feel significant. So we take something that's good and we turn it into idolatry. We do this all the time. But you can only have one ultimate goal. That's why Jesus says you can't serve both God and stuff. You've got to pick one or the other. And how this affects addiction is one major factor in addiction is having an overly conditional sense of serenity where when things don't go my way, creates an emotional pain inside of me that I'd rather not feel. And often we develop unhealthy ways to deal with that kind of pain. Psychologists call this emotional dysregulation because we all have an idea of what life should be and we move towards that kind of lifestyle. But when something comes in and disrupts that lifestyle, it creates a turmoil inside which compels us to look for something on the outside to make us feel better, a sense of instant gratification. And this could be anything. I mean, it could be a chemical addiction like drugs or alcohol, but I mean, it could be a behavioral addiction like food or, or sex, but it could be YouTube. It could be watching stuff on Netflix. You can become addicted to your relationship with your kids, you know, taking something that shouldn't be your ultimate goal and making it your ultimate goal. We can be addicted to things that we don't even know that we're uh, addicted to, but we all have some kind of life that we're trying to move towards, and we count on living and moving towards that life for our serenity and our satisfaction. But when it's temporary, when your ultimate goal of life is, is totally uh, based on something that's temporary, like your career or the way your, your kids behave, then it's very easily disrupted. And so if your ultimate goal in life is, is to be at a certain place in your career, and then your boss comes in on a Friday and says, hey, I need to talk to you on Monday, but I can't tell you what about yet, I mean, you're filled with anxiety all weekend long because that's your sense of, of serenity, and that's kind of natural, but man, it gets way out of whack when your career is like the most important thing to you. It gets crazy, so the natural response when stuff like that gets easily disrupted is that we reach out for some kind of coping mechanism because, you know, we're all hardwired to be goal-oriented, goal-directed beings, and since we're hardwired, to be goal-directed beings, it's a really good idea to learn how to keep your serenity, how to keep your satisfaction when obstacles come up and get in the way of your goals. 
But it's also a good idea to learn to set the right goals, to set an eternal goal. This is what Jesus says in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, don't make your treasure, don't make your your sense of, of serenity, your sense of life come from something that's completely temporary, that's totally transient because something can come in and disrupt it. Something can come in and disrupt it. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, listen to this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, if your ultimate sense of serenity and satisfaction is, is a treasure that's totally temporary and something comes in and starts poking around with it, your heart is going to follow. Your emotions are going to follow. And the natural response to that kind of negative emotion is to reach out to some kind of coping mechanism. So if your primary goal is temporary, it can be disrupted so easily. But if your ultimate goal is seeking the kingdom of God, is, is making, making Jesus felt to the people around you, then you're not easy, as easily disrupted by obstacles. And like if something happens to you, like what happened to me where you accomplish a, a, one of your miniature goals like graduating from seminary and you find out, well, this didn't fulfill me in the way that I secretly hoped that it would, then you just think, well, yeah, of course, because that was never my ultimate goal in the first place. That was just a miniature goal. That was just a tool I was using to reach the ultimate goal of making Jesus real to the people in my life. Now, none of this is, is easy. I hope I haven't said, you know, cast the vision that like this is easy and we all need to just easily get this figured out. And I hope you don't feel like I have this figured out because that is way far from true. And this thing is totally complex. Like this is your, the stuff inside your, in your mind, like it's totally complex. And it's hard to distinguish between when am I actually like worshiping my career as my sole sense of significance and when am I just valuing it as a tool that I use to provide for my family and to contribute meaningfully to society because it's important to do that and so it's hard to tell when you're kind of lifting something too heavy in your priority list and so this is complicated stuff and so you just got to learn it over time and it's a habit it's a habit that you that you develop it's you know, it's a habit to learn to live one day at a time. It's a habit to learn how to enjoy one moment at a time. And it's a habit to learn to distinguish between, okay, when am I just doing this for me? And when am I doing it for the ultimate goal of seeking the kingdom of God? And so this thing is not, it's not totally easy. But one thing that helps is, honestly, as simple as it sounds, one thing that helps is just memorizing, just learning the serenity prayer not even the whole thing but just whatever part of it you need if you can just remember it and times where it comes up to distinguish between what you can and can't control that i mean that's a wisdom right there that could be so incredibly helpful when something when an obstacle gets in your way and you realize i can't control this i just need to focus on what i can control that can give you a sense of peace a sense of serenity that's so profound so memorize whatever not the whole thing but just whatever part of this that you need to help you in your process. But if you need more help than this, then man, CR, we're, we're open for you. 
Um, on Wednesday nights, we'd love to have you there. If you need a step study, a way that you can have a clear beginning and end like Ryland talked about, then, then join a step study. And I'm telling you, man, it can completely transform your life and help you to kind of build this, this belief structure into you so that you can live with more freedom and live more fully alive. We're going to have uh, my friend Tyler come up. He's going to tell the story of, of how it helped him. Let's give him a, a round of applause. Thank you, Zach. How are we doing, church family? As Zach said, my name's Tyler. Hello. Hello, hello. I am a faithful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, my past struggles uh, I've faced in my life have been with addiction to drugs and alcohol, untruthfulness, uh, stress, and all the things that come along with being an adult, and fear of failure. I grew up uh, the youngest of three in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. My father was an extremely talented musician that had begun a promising career in the entertainment industry. He was also very charming and was the type of person who could take command of any room he walked into. Unfortunately, most of those rooms were bars, nightclubs, and concert venues. My mom was smitten with him. So smitten, in fact, that she withstood much physical and mental abuse just to be with him for the good times. And there were good times. There were many parties, concerts, and shows that were so much fun for them both. They had many friends in the music world, but that would change. It was six months into their marriage on the drive home from one of those shows that he pushed her out of a moving car for the first time. I remember my mom recalling that that was the moment that she knew there was a real problem. She wasn't only scared for herself, but for him as well. My father really did have a big heart and he loved his family dearly, but he just could not stop drinking. They would subsequently divorce after 10 years of marriage. I started my drinking career at the ripe age of 13 years old. At first, it was a usual teen behavior stealing liquor from my mom's liquor cabinet so that me and my buddy could try it out. Then by 15-ish, I was making sure that I had something to drink every time before going out with friends. It stayed that way for 15 or so years until I tried to get sober for the first time. I followed loosely in my father's footsteps with respect to my career. I was lucky, lucky and blessed enough to become a professional dancer. Tap was my forte. I was paid to see the world and work with some of the most amazing people, many of which I'm still friends with today. With the traveling came many, many parties. I was always the guy that could take control of any room I walked into. Sounds familiar. After many years on the road living hard and fast, I met my wife Carrie in Branson, Missouri, the place where old entertainers go to die. We continued to live the party lifestyle until our relationship began to deteriorate two years later. After many promises to quit drinking, each followed by a brief, brief but promising period of sobriety, I managed to convince Carrie to be my wife. Today we have two beautiful boys, Maddox and Maverick, that God willing, 
We'll never know what their dad is like when he drinks, or exactly how many times he attended AA meetings in an attempt to get sober. I also have a son, Jack, who's 18 now, from my first marriage that I'm thankful to say is back in our lives after a period of distance. So I mentioned uh, going to AA, or Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a program that should, without question, be checked out by anyone that struggles with addiction to alcohol. There are some great people in the program, and many find that it works if they work the 12 steps of recovery fearlessly and in order. And it works for them fully. For me, it was only the half point or a stepping stone in my recovery. Granted, I didn't know that what I was needing, besides a strong resolve to stop drinking, was a deeper connection with others that not only struggle with addiction, but that hold the same core belief as I do. The belief that only God has the capacity to offer the grace and forgiveness required for me to move on to a healthy, happy, and sober life. That's what Celebrate Recovery has given me. It's given me a group of peers that truly care whether or not I make the next right choice. It's a network of people that have opened their arms and hearts to me many, many times over. What you will find, should you decide to join us on Wednesday evenings, is a family of people that want to live their lives in God's image and that want to help you do the same. What you won't find is a group that turns its back on you when you mess up. Some of the relationships that I have as a result of attending CR meetings are deeper and more meaningful than any I've ever had in my life. With regards to the serenity prayer, even if I say my short version of God help me, Distinguishing between what I can and cannot control is not easy, and the serenity prayer takes that burden off of me and puts it on God's. At times, I forget that the best way to live my life is one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, and that I have to accept hardship as a pathway to peace, but verbalizing those things and asking God for his help really is the ticket for me. Thanks to God and my friends at CR, I'm working on three years sobriety. I love that part. Um, there's absolutely no way possible that without this program, I'd be standing in front of you today telling you that. As a result of my decision to commit to CR wholeheartedly, I feel like I don't have to say sober, I get to. I don't feel like I have to live a happy life, I get to. And most importantly, I don't feel like I have to follow God's plan for my life. I get to. Thanks for letting me share. And now, if you wouldn't mind standing and joining me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.
Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.